I missed the first part of announcements. Did you talk about the cigars? No. You did? Oh. Did you talk about kindness outreach at all? No, I forgot. Well, get up here. Come on, finish up. Do, do, <laughs> come on. Do a good job. All right. <laughs> you know, we say, let's get outside the walls. Let's be, you know, the church is the people, not the walls, right? So this is a building we come into to celebrate together on the weekend. But then during the week, we all go out and we're the church around the city. So yesterday, we, we got together, and we this is a crew of people that got together yesterday. We had a blast. We gave out water to thirsty, hot people at Walmart and also at the Metro Center um, for where all the buses, people get off the bus. They are thirsty, and they're really receptive to prayer. So prayed for one gal that got out of the hospital three days ago, had a heart attack, She's homeless. There were many issues to pray for. And other people that were really open to prayer getting off the bus. And then um, at Walmart, lots of, it's just like giving candy to children, you know, it's, which you shouldn't do, and, you know, <laughs> without their parents' permission. But we also wash windshields. And, and um, Steve had an, an interesting uh, thought. He said, well, I think we should give out cigars, nice cigars. And he funded it himself. And he said, well, if it works, you know, build the church. But, you know, <laughs> it's kind of an iffy thing. But, but he tapped into an, an area that um, by going into some of the 7-Elevens and some of the little stores that are often not run by Christians, not, not Christians working there, and walking in and blowing their minds. Right, Denny? And she went, she went with Steve, too, and, uh, and Steve's at the back there, and just blowing their minds by showing a little bit of God's love in a practical way, in an unusually way, and, and he will not be giving out packs of cigarettes and Budweiser, <laughs> never. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm drawing a line at cigars. <laughs> yeah, but we had a lot of fun. So, yeah, so... Wanted to share that just in case you heard rumors about the church that passes out cigars. It's our church, all right? Yeah, and we're drawing the line at cigars. No cigarettes, no beer. Oh, boy. Only, only our church. All right. Um, uh, Taylor, get your Bibles out. We're going to read Psalms 116, and we're going to jump right into this message. We're going to do kind of a mini-series, so we're going to do three weeks on Psalms. Psalms 116, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave that came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Amen? Amen. You guys have been in great need where God's come through. We're like, it's, just, it's either God or nothing. Yeah, God's good. He's going to save us. No matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, he's going to save us. And we need to... The reason why I'm doing psalms is, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's probably, probably most everything I do is probably 
because I need help, right? Me personally. But I, need, I, I really feel this desire just to amp up my own personal prayer life. And Psalms is amazing. I mean, Jesus teaches us how to pray, and then we're going to look at what, uh, what Paul says in Romans 8. So Paul teaches us how to pray too. But what you, maybe you didn't realize, but they both had a manual. They both had a prayer book, and it's Psalms. Uh, the translation of Psalms is, uh, it means uh, the book of praises. And so they, they used it. The Hebrews used, this, used Psalms as their prayer book, as their, as their means of, of, of knowing how to pray. A lot of times we ask, how do we pray, Lord? Well, you read the Psalms. It's, it's amazing. It's so good. You've got to read it. And I, part of the reason why I think we just need to go after Psalms is because um, prayer life can get very uh, systematic at times. It can become very formulaic, or it can become very whiny, right? I sound a little whiny. I got this cold thing, so I'm a little nasally. I'm sorry. But it can sound like I sound right now, very whiny, right? And prayer connects us to God. It is our communication with God above anything else, above our petitions, above our requests, above our our pleas for favor and breakthrough, prayer is relationship with God. Primary. That's the number one thing. We've got to get that into our heads. That's why we pray. We pray because we just want to be in relationship with God. But usually, when we pray, why do we usually pray? Because we need something, or bad things are happening, or we're stressed out, or we're freaking out, or we need guidance, or we don't know what God's will is for our life, and we need direction, or we're hurt, or we're wounded, and we cry out to God. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying there's a better way and there's a more powerful way. And it's when we have built in a healthy prayer life, where when, when hard times do come, why, we can just overcome them really quickly, pray through them, pray our tears. Now, we, we, if you're new to the church, we just kind of came off of a, a season of mourning. We had some deaths in the church, and it was very difficult to get through and process through, and we did it. And so I'm like, oh, good. Now well, we're going to do some happy sermons. And then, and then this thing happened in Oregon, and I just got, I've got to address this shooting in Oregon. I have to do it because it just, it just breaks our heart. And we know that our country, uh, we, can, we can vote all we want, we can rally all we want, we can do all these things as Christians, but we just need to come to the realization that America is a post-Christian nation. Right, right, as it stands right now, it is a post-Christian nation. And uh, I don't, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why the shooting happened or whatnot, but I will tell you this. The reason why that happened is because the spirit of Antichrist has infected our culture and our nation. That's why it happened. Uh, growing up, you know, growing up in church and specifically in youth group, whenever we're teaching kids to begin to make their faith their own, uh, I had this happen to me, and I actually I taught this too. Uh, especially when you're going, when you're teaching Revelation, and, and you're you know you're trying to build up kids' faith, make the faith their own. You teach Revelation end times or whatever. You will say things like that. Will you stand up for your faith someday? 
Are you, is your faith strong enough where you're willing to die for your faith? Now, when I was growing up, I guess you could say that might have been a possibility if the communists had, had invaded America and taken over and become you know, an atheist state. You know, that's, that was the fear that was kind of projected on us when I was growing up. So, yeah, it could happen someday where, you know, your faith could be a crime. But it was always hypothetical, Right? No one in their right mind would ever think that somebody would shoot you for your faith. Well, it happened, didn't it? It happened. And so now more than ever, we need to make this dividing line of people who follow Jesus, that are completely encaptured by his love, that want to connect to his presence more than anything else in comparison to what is very dominant in our religious system are cultural Christians. There is a call to holiness that is being placed in our, on, on the church in America, and it's going to be a very sharp line between those that are actually Christians and those that are not. And, you know, and the kids that stood up for their faith and took a bullet, guess what? They were Christians. It's the number of people that go to church that would not stand up. You think, I mean... Honestly, there's a lot of people that wouldn't take a bullet for their, for their Savior. And what we know, uh, what we know about, uh, about this faith that we live out, the faith that we, that we love, is that it does bring fullness of life. It brings joy. Like, there's, there's nothing I would rather do than to be a Christian. It, it brings joy. There is the fullness of life that we get to walk in. It is the joy of life. Colors are brighter when you're a Christian. Like, the hope is better when you're a Christian. And yes, we will, and I will, uh, I will preach that God is out to bless you. I mean, the problem, of course, is the whole prosperity gospel movement where, like, God's just going to make you a millionaire just because you come to church. We know that doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. So there was the abuse. There was the extreme in that area. God does want to bless us. There's no way of getting around it. You've got to read his word, and you know that he does. But there's something else that, that, that is very well highlighted. If you are a believer, you will be persecuted for your faith. If you are a Christian, you will be joy-filled, but you will also be a person of sorrow. You know that Jesus was the most joy-filled human that ever existed? Yet, the Bible tells us that he was a man of sorrows. And we've, we've got to get this into our head that, you know what, life does happen and it is difficult and it's hard. But as Christians, we have to not only face it, what we can't do is we can't bury our stuff. There's, there's two approaches to, you know, processing, I don't know, Processing pain, processing disappointment, processing loss. And, uh, you know, kind of uh, the, the church culture or Christian culture, faith culture. And, and I'm not saying this is necessarily bad, but this is, what, this is what happened. Faith culture, church culture says that you need to suppress your emotions. Hmm? You need to... You need to, and this is, you know, we, we're, we're, we're working through this. We're, we're, so we're reaping the, the seeds that were sown in the past. But you know what? You, if you have issues and if you have hidden sin and if you have, you know, character flaws, 
the best thing that for you to do as a Christian is to bury them and is to hide them and do not let the light shine on who you really are. So that's one approach. Not, not a very healthy approach either, by the way. Now, in complete contrast to that issue of hiding and burying our emotions is the humanist, secularist view of, of how we approach our emotions. And I, I know I, I, I'm not an expert on psychology. I mean, and this is, this is what I experienced years and years ago. So maybe psych, modern psychology has evolved. I'm sure that it has. But I remember like being a kid and some of my friends had to go to, had to go see a psychologist for some reason because, I don't know, they were my friends. Who knows why they had to go see a psychiatrist. But they were messed up. They had issues, right? But, you know, it was, they probably needed a good whooping is probably what they needed, right? <laughs> I think I said this years ago, and, and uh, I, yeah, Jesus would probably spank your kids. So that one stuck with Al over the years. So Jesus would whoop your kids. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but I remember you know, having a friend who had to go see a psychologist, and so they, they had to get the emotions out because this kid had issues. And uh, so the one way that they did it is they had uh, dummies or dolls of their parents, and they'd let the kid whack the parent, right, to get the emotions out, right? This was, this was years. They, they've probably evolved past this. But, but the humanist, secularist approach to emotions is, is that there is no bad emotion, there are no, there's no such thing as evil emotions or, 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 or such, right? All of your emotions are completely valid inside of a secular humanist world. And then we have kids that shoot kids. So are you telling me that those emotions aren't bad, those impulses aren't bad, that drives a, a young person to mass murder? Come on. Come on. Look, we have anger. We have sadness. We have depression. Those, we have to face our emotions in a healthy way. Uh, but unlike the humanists and the secularists, we do not build an altar to our emotions. The Bible says, you know, get angry, but don't sin. And Psalms is amazing. Psalms, will, because it is so transparent. It is so real. It is so primal. It is so empowering. You read Psalms and you know that what is being read and what is being prayed is it is the heart and soul of the psalmist, of the Psalter. You know that what is being expressed is real. So this is what we got to look at. This is what we're going to look at today. And Paul, uh, Paul describes it pretty well. Um, on how we are to pray and how we are to process our stuff. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. I'm sorry, we'll go, uh, we'll go verse, we'll go verse 14. Okay, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. So there's the, there, we have to get this into our heart that in order for us to begin to obtain sonship and daughtership and to, to move into our identity, we have to be in, in the spirit of God. 
Um, it, this is completely accurate. I'm not, I'm not bashing it, but there's a, there's a saying out in the Christian, the church world that it says it's all about Jesus. Completely true. True statement. It's all about Jesus. But guess what? It's also all about Holy Spirit, too. And it's also all about God Father. So we have, to, we have to come to this realization that we are in the age of the Spirit. We, when we pray, we don't get to sit down and have coffee with Jesus because he's not there. Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. So, I don't know, we don't get to hang out with Jesus, unfortunately. But we get to not only hang out with Holy Spirit, but we have the empowerment and the embodiment of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So we need to be people of the Spirit, first and foremost. Jesus, when he left the building, he says, I'm leaving you with somebody better than me in this point in time. It is better for you that you have Holy Spirit to be your counselor and your guider and your protector than it is for me to, be, to continue to walk with you on the planet. Oh, that's tricky, isn't it? So we're better off now with Holy Spirit than we would be if we had Jesus. That's, that's hard to get our heads around. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Right? Um, if you have stepped into this faith, maybe from another faith, or maybe from another tradition, a lot of times when we have people come into our church, they experience the gospel of grace. Do you know what the gospel of grace is? You experience grace in your lives where you're like, oh my gosh, I, I feel so free that I don't have to earn God's love anymore. I don't have to earn this salvation. I don't have to earn my, my way into heaven. And we begin to... to to experience the gospel of grace, and it's extremely freeing. Now, some people that have come into the gospel of grace, and they don't quite understand it. They don't quite grasp it. And the danger is trading one form of religion for another. I'm not bashing any religion at all. I'm going after our own mindsets that keeps us from engaging and entering into a healthy relationship with God. All right, well, anyway, let's pick on Muslims, huh? So let's say you were a Muslim, and somebody gives you the sinner's prayer, and you become a Christian, yet your prayer life is all about asking for God's favor and God's blessing and breakthrough and, you know, and petitioning God and then feeling guilty about sinning and all this kind of stuff. And you come to Granite Creek and, and you come because you feel guilty or, or you give because you want to get something out of it. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace is unique. It's completely unique. There's nothing else like it on the planet. All other religions are systematic and they're karma-based. Meaning if you do good things, you, you build up good karma points. And then God will like you and then God will be happy with you and then maybe you'll get to heaven. And you just have to be wary. Okay, 
you are living in a gospel of grace now. These things don't apply. Now, how do you know if you have an unhealthy prayer life? Well, what, how, do you, how do you approach God? When I pray, usually it's because I'm stressed out or I'm freaking out about something. I need something from God. I need a breakthrough, right? So I'm going to do some prayer time. I'm going to get myself into my prayer closet because I want something. That's karma-based religion, folks. See, Paul addresses this. Paul addresses this. Let me, let me show you how the language that we are to use when we pray to God. We are supposed to have this spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So when we pray, we are to cry out, Abba, Father. Which is, which translates to Dada. It is the first thing that you probably said when you were an infant. I know our child did. I was very excited about that, that he said, Dada, instead of Mama, or instead of saying no, right? Anybody have any kids that said no? That was their first word out of their mouth. Yeah, you've got it. Oh, just throw your kid under the bus. That's awesome. Yeah. You see, that is, you have an outline. I might not get to the whole thing, but that's, not, that's point number one on your outline, right? We are to cry out, Abba, Father, which is, which is primal, which is, it is it's, a very, it's the basest form of expression that we have. And it is completely unconditional. So when my child, when Sophia said, Dada, why? Why did she say dada? Well, she saw that mom and dad, like things were coming out of our mouth, this thing called language and vocabulary. So she's picking up on that. She's seeing the words that are coming out of our mouth. And so eventually she reputates it. But she said, you know, why dada? Well, I mean, we were, you know, we're repeating, but I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, say dada, say dada, say dada, right? So I'm just, you know, you know how it is. Um, so she's seeing mom and dad speak language, and then eventually she repeats it, right? And she says, dada. But why does she do it? Sophia is eight now. She doesn't say dada anymore. You know what she says now? Daddy, can I have this My Little Pony, right? You see, now that she's developed the language, her communication is more a petition rather than being with me. When she was an infant, she didn't know about the stuff, right? She didn't know I was out to spoil her. The only thing she wanted was me. She didn't want, my, she didn't want toys. She didn't want my toys. She didn't want my money. She didn't want my favor or my blessings. All she wanted was me. It was the most primal, most beautiful thing. That's what God wants from us. That is, how we, that is the number one area that we are to approach God in a very primal language. When we see the psalmist or the psalter write the psalms, 
It is gritty. It is vivid. It is primal. Have you ever been, um, I don't know, doing your own little, your little devotional where you're, where you're in your comfy study chair and your, little, your study nook and, and you have your prayer journal and you have your Bible. And they're opened up and you've got your little bookmark and you're drinking your coffee and you have a little candle lit so it smells nice. And uh, maybe you have your kids around and, and you're going through the Psalms and it's all very sweet. It's like a precious moments with Jesus. And, um, and then you read something like that's on the cover of your bulletin. What does it say on the cover of your bulletin? I've forgotten. I mean, burning coals land on their head. <laughs> or you'll read another one in Psalms is, uh, may, my, may I wash my feet in the blood of my enemies. Oh, Lord, give me vengeance and may I just dash the, the teeth out of my foes. On the rivers of the Euphrates in Babylon, we hung up our harps. And Lord, may you take our Babylonian captors' children and dash their heads against rocks. What? You know, the, the secularists and the humanists, they love these verses because they read these things and they say, I knew it. All religions are, 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 are for hatred and violence, and there you go. Now, religion is evil. There you go. All you got to do is just look at the condition of their hearts and, and what they write about, what they consider holy scripture. You know what? This is real stuff. This is primal language. It is very easy for us to sit back in our 21st century comfy homes and to judge these words, but in reality, we don't have the right to judge this. And this was being expressed through the emotions of the writers, whether it was David. David wrote over half of the Psalms. Uh, some of it was written in captivity from the Babylonians. Some of it was written by other, other guys. Um, but what we need to understand is that all of it was written on this side of the cross. Right? All of it was on this side of the cross. Why I think it is so beautiful, why it is so good. I mean, you might think, oh, this is really disgusting. It's not. Because do you know what they're saying? In reality, they're not crying out for revenge. They're, they want justice. They want justice. They want God's justice. And they know that God is a just God. And, I mean, bash their children's heads on rocks, Lord. I mean, you think, about what? How, why would anybody say something that horrible, right? But you see, that's what happened to their children. The Israelites, when the Babylonians came in and burned the city and tore down the temple and took away their smartest and their brightest, they took their children and they dropped them off of walls. And if somebody took your children and did something horrible, you might have the same type of emotion. I don't know, maybe if you're a good Christian, you might bury that emotion and not ever express it. But let's just be honest, we would have those types of emotions. What's amazing about the scriptures is that in the psalmist, specifically David, Lord, this is how I'm feeling it and I'm bringing it into your presence, right? 
I have this pain, I have this anger, I have these issues, and I'm, I'm bringing them into your presence, and I'm venting them in front of you. That is health. That is why it is so good. That's what we need to do. We need to be honest before God with the primal language. So that's the next point on your outline, is that we have to, first point is you've got to have this, like, this primal language towards God. Second point is it has to be real. You have to be honest with God. Like, he already knows it's in your heart anyway. So let's just be honest with him in our prayer lives. You got anger, bitterness, animosity towards somebody, just get it out in front of God in his presence. He'll take it. He'll transform you. He will take that angry thought and he'll make it something good. Number three is that prayer is, is positional, meaning we need to be praying in the right place, not necessarily in the right geographical location, but in the right posture, in the right relationship. How are we to address God when we pray? What, what word do we use? It says, Abba, Father. So Father denotes relationship. It, it puts us into position with God's, uh, his structure for governance. We are his children. He is our father. That is our position. That is how we are to, to make our requests known before God. That is how we are to enter into relationship. Abba, father, father. Okay, you are, you are the, you are a heavenly father and my identity is a son and daughter of God, and I am supposed to respond to you likewise. And when we do baptisms around here, um, we, we're, we're, we try to build in, in a very strong way, the lordship of Christ into their lives when they make a public declaration. Because, I don't know, like I've baptized like the same person four times. It's like they didn't get it or something. <laughs> You know, it's like they wanted to get baptized again. They want to get baptized again. And they want to get baptized again. Why? It's because they didn't have, they never built in the lordship of Christ into their lives. And Jesus was never their boss, right? And so that's how we'll word it sometimes. We'll say, are, are you willing in front of your friends and your family, in front of, in front of your church, to make Jesus Christ the boss of your life for the rest of your life, meaning that you are going to submit to his authority in your lives. That's how we word it, right? But here's the thing. It's probably, it's good, you know, but it's not 100% accurate because God's not a boss, right? He's a father, right? He's a father. And I think part of the problem is a lot of us have, a, we have issues obeying our, our natural fathers, that's why our communication with God is so messed up because we have, we have daddy issues and that's probably why I use boss instead of father at times. But he's our father. We need to obey him. But he's not like a boss because a boss, we show up on time because we don't want to get in trouble, right? A boss, we work hard because what? We want to get a promotion. 
These are all good things, by the way. A boss you kiss up to so that you can gain his favor, right? And, you know, get a promotion or something, get a raise or something. And if that is our attitude towards our prayer life, we're in big trouble, right? It's like you're kissing up to God to get a favor from God. You are, you know, you're doing good deeds so he likes you more, so you'll earn some more God points or whatever it might be. And what that does to our prayer life, it makes our prayer life a game, right? It makes our prayer life a, kind of a give and take. It's, it's, almost, it's, it's almost even very manipulative. So I'm going to I'm gonna do these super spiritual things and I'm going to manipulate God and therefore he owes me. It's, it's the same thing that your, your teenage daughter does to you when she wants something from you. <laughs> she manipulates you. Yeah? Or is that just, she's not a teenager yet, but she can get me. I tell you, man, she gets me all the time. So there's this, there's this position that we have to have of a loving heavenly father. And the position also is, is one of surrendering to our father. And if you have issues submitting to your, your, your natural father, you just might have issues submitting to your heavenly father. That's going to take some work, folks. Might take a lot of work. That's where inner healing takes place. But it's positional. And then the other important thing about, about praying and praying the scriptures is, is that it's communal too. All right. The Psalms, uh, again, absolutely captivating and amazing. And, and Jesus tells us that um, Jesus gets on our case about our prayer life a little bit. He says that... Uh, Is it? Sorry. I lost it. Oh, here it is. Matthew 6 6. But when you pray, you go into your room, go into your closet, and you shut the door, and you pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, Jesus is saying, okay, I seeing, I'm seeing everybody pray out loud in the marketplace. It's actually good. But he's also saying, you need to have your own personal prayer life. Get into your closet and go after it. Get into your closet and connect with relationship outside of the corporate setting. Why, why is that so important? It's because, I don't know, people... Do you know anybody that talks too much and they never shut up? There's a song about that. I'm dating myself. You talk too much. Homeboy, you never shut up. <laughs> um, when people... <laughs> see, somebody knows. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, people that like to talk too much, they like to pray too much too. This is what Jesus is addressing here. Is people that, that are praying way too much. You know, and I love extroverts. We need them in the church. They are the most valuable tool that God can use in the advancement of the kingdom of God through evangelism. We've got to have extroverts. But what, what God is saying, if you are talking too much, if you're talking more than you are praying in your prayer closet, there's issues here. Because it's a show, right? So this is what he's addressing. He's addressing you know, the, the show of the, of the gospel, the prostitution of the gospel. He says, don't do that. 
Because you're not going to be rewarded what happens in public. You're going to be rewarded what you do in the dark secret places in your heart, in your closet. That's what he's after. He doesn't care what you do, that you're you know, an important person in public. It's what you do in private that's what really matters to God. So that's what he's saying. But it's not one or the other. It's both and. We need to have a private prayer life, but it is so crucial for the church of Jesus Christ to have a public prayer life. When Jesus teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he says what? My Father? No. He says, Our Father. It's, a, it's very communal. Paul says it here too. Abba, Father. He says, um, Sorry, I lost it again. All right. Uh, and by him we cry. That's tough, huh? And by him we, a communal body, cry, express ourselves. Abba, Father. So there is, a, there is this communal expression of worship that has to take place. And the Psalms was written specifically for it. The Psalms was, um, you know, it starts off as David's inner world. And David had an amazing insight into God. He, he had a New Testament revelation of what was really going on. David gives us a look into his own personal prayer life. And not only does he give us a look, he makes it communal. He instituted public worship based off of his prayer life in his closet. It's amazing. It is, it's absolutely incredible. And so the Psalms, uh, although part of our problem with Psalms is that we read it and we study it, which is completely okay. I, do, I spend a lot of time reading and studying the scriptures, but I'm only engaging one part of myself, which is my flesh, when I decide to study the scriptures and then I don't apply it. It's the intellectual approach. which is, It's 100% flesh. It's completely okay to do. We need to have a recapturing of the Christian mind. But see, the Psalms was never meant to be study, studied intellectually as the primary focus. It was meant to be read aloud in a corporate setting. It was read to be sung. This is poetry, folks. It was, med for, it was meant for community. It is so gorgeous. Majority of the worship songs that we sing, you might not even realize it, they're psalms. So some worship leader had a bright idea to, to take the scriptures and put them to music. It's exactly what David did. And so there's just an incredible richness to it that, that we just can't avoid, and we have to have it. All right. And then prayer is, uh, it's got to be experiential. Like when you are praying in your prayer closet, or when you're praying communally, you need to be moved in prayer. It's, I know it's difficult. I know it's so difficult to be moved in prayer, especially when you're by yourself. It's also hard to be moved in prayer when you're, when you're in a corporate setting like this. Okay, I'm going to give you a little commission. At times when we are, uh, you know, when we pray, when you know, the Janie prays or my wife or myself, when we pray in church, that's not your cue to tune out. 
and to think about where you're going for lunch or to think about your bills. That, that, because sometimes prayer in church is like a pause, right? It's like a, we insert prayer to, to change gears from one part of the worship service to the next part of the worship service. It's not a pause. It's not an intermission. It is why we came here. And so when we pray, engage, push in, agree with the prayer, make it experience that prayer, or pray your own words somehow. Don't fade out whenever we pray. Because it's he needs to be experienced. And even in your prayer closet, and it's so hard for me to do this. Just because I don't know, I'm just I'm a guy, right? It's so hard for me to be moved emotionally in my private prayer life. But I know if my personal prayers don't move me to action, how much more are they going to move God to action? Well, God, I guess if you want to help me out here, I guess you will, right? But if I'm going, Abba, Father, if I'm crying out for the Lord, if my heart is breaking, if I'm, if I'm, if the, if the injustice in this world is breaking my heart and I am crying out to him, then I'm going to get his attention. I mean, he's got my attention, but you know what I'm saying, right? You know what I'm saying. So it's got to be, you've got to experience something in our prayer lives. So as the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So there is a, there's a revelation that happens in, in, in prayer. Like you ought to be hearing God's voice. And it also ought to be lining you up back up with, with who you are in Christ, your identity as children. And when we read Psalms, know that Jesus is in it. You know that this was Jesus' prayer book? He quoted it more than any other scripture that we have. When he was dying on the cross, he quotes it. Like, second to the last thing that he ever said, he quotes Psalms. So he used it. We ought to use it too. And when we come across difficult things in the scriptures that doesn't make sense, especially in the areas of justice, like, oh my gosh, why did this happen? When evil is expressed on the world, there's an answer to evil. It will be justified someday. And when the Israelites are crying out, God, give us justice because we've been treated unjustly. You know, allow us to bathe our feet in their blood. You know, when, when, when those things happen, it's actually a proper response. It's a natural response, I should say. It's a natural response. But when we look, on, when we look at the Psalms from our perspective on this side of the cross, we, we need to see Jesus in them. They're his psalms about him. A lot of them are messianic in nature. So when you read these rough things, you got to know that it was God that sent his son to be bashed on rocks for us because he so values justice.
That's what it's really saying. In that sense, it is all about Jesus. He's there for us. He's there to comfort us. He's there to turn our tears into joy. All of this deep, hard, emotional stuff that we see in Psalms, do you know what they all end on? Great is the, great is the Lord, and he is worthy to be praised. How good is our God? The last five uh, uh, chapters, uh, five verses of, uh, of Psalms, it's all praise about the goodness of God. That's how it ends. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? If I could have the band and the ushers come to the front, and as they're on their way up, I want you just to, I want you to begin to think about your own personal prayer life. How not only is it important to you, like your personal prayer life is, is, is going to be important to you. This is how you strengthen yourself in the Lord, is you begin to pray like David. Not only is it important to you, it's also important to this community, this church, and to your family. Your prayer life will change your family. It's so crucial that we get it right. Tell you what, we're going to do something. We're going to, I'm going to have you stand, and we're just going to pray for our nation right now as we pass the offering. And if you want to go ahead and pray aloud, go ahead. You can just join us in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to give back to you. We thank you that you are a good God. The very nature of, your, of who you are, your, your doctrine, God, is that you are good and you're good all the time. And so, God, we come before you as a, as a body of believers, as your children. And, God, our hearts are breaking about the injustice that's taking place in this world. And God, we don't know, we don't understand, and some of us are hurt, some of us are crying, some of us are dealing with injustice within our own areas of our lives. And so, God, right now, I pray that you will just give us the strength and the character not to either bury our emotions or to blow them up all over the place and be ruled by them, God. I pray that you will help us to take our emotions, the good ones and the bad ones, the ones that are, are healthy and the ones that are sick. God, I pray that we will just bring them into your presence, God, that we will cry out, Abba, Father, and that we will submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. God, we know that revival is necessary for our nation, God. It's like it's either revival or nothing, God. So we just pray against that, that spirit of antichrist that is so, it's so permeating our, our culture, God. And we say, no, it's not going to happen. We pray a prayer of protection over our, over our families and over our church and over our cities and over our schools. We pray protection over them, Lord. May we just have this divine presence of, that, that goes about us and before us, God, that protects us from the enemy's hands, from that spirit of Antichrist. And God, if we are so privileged to face martyrdom in our own time, God, may we be people of, people of character that will stand up when people say, are you a Christian? We will, we will stand up and we will take a bullet for the faith, God. May we, may we build families with that type of conviction and that type of character, God. God, our hearts break for right now for families that have lost loved ones on a senseless crime. And we cry out for justice, and we know that your justice was met on the cross. So we give you thanks for that, God. We give you thanks for meeting that justice, God. Amend our hearts, Lord. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.